Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. I don't really recommend France. I mean, you know. We got some museums and stuff, a couple paintings. Pete Thamel! And we are going to remind you why you love college football for the pure absurdity of it. And Pat Forty! It is absolutely an attack on our national security because this is a military installation that's now being overwhelmed by a, <laughs> an alligator who cannot be denied. It's like Walter Payton going over a safety, man. <laughs> He's right through there. And here's Dan! Uh, welcome to the Yahoo Sports College pod. Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, Pat Forty. Uh, welcome. I'd just like to say we've all made questionable choices in college. Do you know that? <laughs> Don't let missing out on college fantasy football be one of them. See, I tricked you into a promo. <laughs> yeah. Choose Yahoo and pick your favorite teams in the Power Five conferences. Make better choices, people. Choose Yahoo Sports College Fantasy Football. Sign up now. Yahoo.com slash college fantasy. Pat, before we get to week one or week zero, even, my understanding you were able to get a hold of some Popeye chicken sandwich today. Wow. Is this true? This is true. I secured the bag. Have you, uh, have I, you eaten it yet? I, I have ingested it. Okay. I have. I, I have to give you the backstory, though. I, I got there at 1031. They opened at 1030. <laughs> Line of cars already, like six people deep. So I'm not a I'm not a wait and drive through kind of guy. So I go inside and uh, I said to the, the guy there who runs the store, I said, you know, is the hype real? He said, oh, the hype's real. The hype is real. It's the best chicken sandwich you've ever had. I said, OK, I'll, I'll take one. And I said, we're going to review it on a podcast. And he looks at me and he goes, you're that guy. You're a sports guy, aren't you? <laughs> and so he, he, Popeyes. <laughs> he pulls the chicken sandwich he was going to give me out of the bag and goes and gets another one because I think he was going to give me a stale one from the night before, probably. Oh. <laughs> he said, he said, Connie, the best chicken sandwich maker in America. They sold 1,200 of them yesterday. He said, Connie, I need a new one. So Connie serves me up one. He says he put a little extra mayonnaise on there. It was spicy mayonnaise. Ah. It was good. It was very, very good. So Connie, good job. It was spicy as heck. Uh, and I will say, if it's a Chick-fil-A versus Popeye's, I give the edge to Popeye's. 
especially because I can get one on Sunday if I want it. <laughs> wow. So what happened to the – I'm still a little baffled, and I have my own story of failing to get a Popeye chicken sandwich uh, today. But what happened – this sandwich they just redid it I, i'm still a little confused on yeah, how i don't think they also... had one before did they ah, did they not have know. one i mean i look i'm i have popeyes exist for one reason for me on a morning flight when i'm connecting in atlanta <laughs> and they're in the c concourse or b concourse and they got those great chicken strip biscuits mm. so that's a that is a go-to breakfast thing for me i've never eaten another meal at popeyes so i don't know whether they had a chicken sandwich before uh but the one they've got now is prima Better. How is it better than Chick-fil-A? Uh, a little spicier. Uh, the pickles are are very good on there. The bun was very good. Um, I really and I, I got no complaints. It was right. um, across the board, I think, just a nudge better. So Chick-fil-A is out. Popeyes is in. There you go. Um, we once uh, reviewed the hot dogs at Burger King. I think we need to try the the Impossible Burger Whopper. OK, they've now yep. gone veggie. Um, I don't think it's any healthier, uh, but anyway, I went to Popeye's. I got to my Popeye's at 10 a.m. It was supposed to open at 10. And let me just tell you how frustrated the workers are. They weren't opening <laughs> flat out <laughs> defying the opening. There was Why? a crowd of people. There were people outside. I don't know. I got there right at 10 and there were a couple ladies up at the door and they kind of talked to the manager or something, she locked back up the door. And this woman was heated. She said they weren't opening at 10. She wasn't going to do it, I guess. Real Popeye enthusiast out in the... And so there was some a little anger among the Popeye um, <laughs> wow. would-be customers. So I didn't know what that was all about. I felt like this could get out of hand. And <laughs> I do like out of hand, but I didn't want to spend all morning searching. So I, I there's another one, you know, of course, like five minutes more away. So I go over to that one, and they got a sign saying they're out of chicken sandwiches. Wow. So I here's my thing. You have a good Popeye's because they're just doling out 1,200 sandwiches. I think the workers are just angry. <laughs> they might I mean, be. You know they're what? Get, they're seeing the profits rolling in. They're like college athletes. They're seeing the profits rolling in. They're not getting enough of a share. Yeah. They're still getting the minimum wage when no one they're went to the Popeyes. They're still minimum wage. Connie's now, in there working her fingers to the bone making chicken sandwiches. Her wages haven't gone up. Come on, Popeye. going up. Dan, do you think if you were a local celebrity like Pat Forty, they would have made special accommodations for you to get a chicken sandwich? I don't know. I may, I'm sure I, you know, I I don't know. Maybe. They wouldn't even, they, they weren't even opening. I felt it was a worker revolt. It said, <laughs> this lady was irate. She's like, it says 10 o'clock. <laughs> I'm like, well, and then the other guys are like, what are you going to do? You know, like you can't. I mean, you can't make them open, I guess. So, I don't know. So they should have let wanted... you in for self-serve. You could have made so your own. I had own. no idea if this thing's any good. I failed. I tried actual show prep, and look what happens. Look what I get. That's why I don't I read the emails. So, tell me, get nothing. tell me this. Like, was this sandwich just debuted last week or 10 days yeah. ago or what? Okay, yeah. so it just yeah. they just said this is coming out. Because I just couldn't understand why this became a sensation. And, like, why did no one at Popeye's headquarters think five years ago – Perhaps we should make a sandwich I, to go I along with know. our fried chicken. That's why chicken. it's Popeyes, man. It's that's why it's Popeyes. Like McDonald's wouldn't fall. They, it's, I don't think it's really well run. And then why <laughs> wouldn't you think if we're going to roll out this thing, we're going to tell America 
our chicken sandwich is better than the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, which almost everybody likes. Even I'm not even a big chicken sandwich guy. But all right, Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, very good, no question. And you're going to roll it out, and then you, like, don't order more chicken. That's like, the thing. If you want to play with the big time, you got to, you know, increase your facilities. You got to increase your, yeah. your salary pool. Got to hire a couple extra analysts. You know, I mean, you got <laughs> you got to up the chicken staff. Got to invest. Yeah. Can't just sit there and try to be a power five wannabe, a non-power right. five wannabe, you know. That's Step right. it up, Popeyes. I would anyway. actually not know that there was a Popeyes in the city of Boston, except that it was the centerpiece of that scandal in the Red Sox clubhouse. Remember a couple of years ago, the Red Sox like fell apart at the end and they fired Terry Francona and it's remembered locally as the chicken and beer scandal because guys were eating Popeye's oh, chicken yeah. and drinking beer during the game. <laughs> so there is actually a Popeye's like right adjacent to Fenway Park, which may be the only one in the city of Boston. I really don't know. But that has been the only time in the Northeast where they there aren't a lot of Chick-fil-A's and Popeye's that that had entered the current lexicon and tied into sport. But yes, this is... This is really like more of a movement than a sandwich at this point. I'm in awe of the publicity. You guys got a, a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner. You need another Popeye yeah. or two up there. You could use a Popeye yeah. or two. And they're yeah. all full too. That's the thing about the Dunkin' Donuts. And nobody eats the donuts. It's a very, <laughs> it's very, it's a very strange phenomenon. Well, Popeye, I, I respect uh, the workers at Popeye from revolting, but I hope they opened at least by noon. I don't know. I think well. it'd been a mo there might have been murders down there. <laughs> Detroit, it's entirely possible. Week zero is over. Pat Ford, you are our week zero hero for actually covering a game, Florida-Miami game. Arizona-Hawaii was on, like, some bootleg streaming. Like, <laughs> yes. How? Okay, this is, I don't understand. Like, how do you only have two games in a weekend and one of them can't be on TV? <laughs> I was looking around late. I'm like, what? Where is this thing? So Sam Cooper, our faithful blogger, DM'd me a bootleg link so I could watch it. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. It shouldn't be that hard. And it was, it was wondrous. It, it, it pretty much unfolded the way we predicted on the podcast last week. The over was crushed. The over under over was 73 and they, they drilled that and it literally came down to the last play. I mean, the one thing about the awfulness of those two week zero games is at least they were like compelling, even though they were yeah. brutal in execution. Yeah, the Hawaii game was uh, the Hawaii game was kind of whole ball of fun. Yeah, good good to have the Pac-12 get its embarrassment in early. Yeah, uh, five no straight one, losses which, to the Mountain West, which no one could see. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then as for the other game, I mean, it was competitive. They were hitting, but Pat it, it enjoyed none of it. His <laughs> column on Yahoo was like an angry Yelp review. <laughs> Like he went to Disney World and waited three hours at the Expedition <laughs> Everest, and then uh, he broke down right when he got there. Mid-season form in the Pat Forty Snark Meter. <laughs> Bring the bitterness, buddy. Hey, man, what have it, you got? How? Why did you hate this so much? It was an atrocity. It was <laughs> such a crime against football. It was so, so, so bad. And here's the thing that always gets me. All right, when. You get the hype machine going, and everybody's trying to tell you, this is going to be great in ESPN. We're going to blow this thing out. We're going to turn this into 10 hours of programming or more, whatever the heck it was, with the full game day treatment, because we're going to put two named teams in it. Doesn't mean it's going to be good football, and it doesn't mean we have to act like it's good football. And for all these people, but football's back. Well, yeah, crappy football is back. Hopefully better football will follow. The fourth quarter of that game was the worst football I've ever seen. And I've covered Southern Indiana high schools. 
mean, it was so bad. Nobody could do anything right. There were in the two games, right? Yes, the, the Hawaii Arizona game ended very dramatically. An awesome play, really exciting. There were also eight turnovers in that game. In the two games combined, there were 40 penalties and 13 turnovers and so many missed tackles, you can't even count them. But somebody wants to tell us this football's back, so we've got to all get on the bandwagon and say, yay. No, we don't. No, we don't. When the bandwagon's pushed at us early for no reason other than the fact that TV wants to put something in that window, we don't have to go along and just swallow it like sheep. We can say it's bad. It's okay to say it's bad. It was bad. Pat Forty, speaking truth to power. (laughs) Huge rating on TV, and one of these bull cronies made millions running that that yes. Florida Miami game. And so that'll buy them a lot of Caribbean cruises for the athletic directors and free <laughs> Were golf. They just handing and, out canary yellow suit jackets oh, to everyone in the press box. This, there's going to be 40 of these next year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, come People on. Be lined up for this. Yeah. yeah. Once the, the bowl directors start getting their money and filtering it down through the system, buying players out like their Nike EBYL or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the fire alarm went off in the press box because they were burning all the money they made because yeah, they were so yeah. excited. <laughs> so, yeah, get used to it. It wasn't good, though, I, I do admit. Uh, good rivalry, though. I mean, a lot of hitting on the field, some intensity. <clears throat> and I, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, after the game, it even got got a little heated. The Florida band director alleges he was assaulted by two Miami fans who I guess upset with the result of the game came barging through the band. It was like the Stanford Cal game or something. I don't know. <laughs> As the band was waiting to get on the band bus back to Gainesville, one of them was a woman. According to the Orlando Sentinels, she was accused of battering several <laughs> band members. <laughs> don't mess with the you. Uh, do not mess with the you. How much woman claw be- do you have to drink? To get in your mind. You know what I'm going to do? I am going to make violent acts against the opposing team's band. Look at these clarinet section. You take your beating. We have early candidates for our people of the year. I mean, that, oh, yes. that, they, that this is, this is mean, right what, in our wheelhouse. What the heck? Susie Sophomore from Sarasota didn't do anything. She's just playing in the band. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. So the band director got sucker punched and knocked to the ground. And I don't want to laugh at that. I feel bad for him. Uh, but the Florida did issue a statement, of course, declaring he'll be fine. Okay. Um, but there was collateral damage to the sucker punch. Great coverage by the Orlando Sentinel on this. Quote, a band member was treated for hyperventilation <laughs> brought on by seeing her band director battered. And the hyperventilation was so bad, her nose bled, even though she was not physically injured. Now, I mean, I'm not advocating the violence, but this Miami fan punched a dude so hard, he made an onlooker's nosebleed. (laughs) In the annals of South Florida street violence, Kimbo Slice is impressed. How do you punch someone so hard? A spectator bleeds. <laughs> you That's want the this power to end, of the you. Pat? You're against this? What? <laughs> what the hell are we going to talk about on the podcast if we don't have brawls between the band and random fans? It is great. I mean, I, you know, if you're a piccolo player and you're sitting there watching your beloved director being, you know, battered, 
I suppose bad things can happen. You know, maybe you're just you're an, an emotional person, empathetic or whatever. But I, I mean, I, it's it's hilarious. I, I and hyper, hey, hyperventilating can I, I I don't know about the nosebleed, but hyperventilating can be a little bit panic-inducing. Quick story: my senior year of high school, second football game of the year, we're ranked like fifth in the state, and we lose to a bad team. And I'm one of the captains, and I feel terrible, and I'm pissed, and I played the whole game, and I, I didn't play very well. But anyway, so I'm exhausted, and I'm pissed afterwards. And I started hyperventilating in the locker room. And an assistant – I feel like I'm about to pass out. An assistant coach – you're supposed to breathe into a brown paper bag. Assistant coach comes over and instead puts his hands over my face. Problem <laughs> being, he's a two-pack-a-day Marlboro smoker. Oh, and he no. sticks these smoke-ridden hands over my face, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. It didn't help. I survived, but uh, the season went downhill. Don't hyperventilate. And don't get a nosebleed while you're hyperventilating. All right. That's life lessons from Pat. <laughs> chicken sandwiches and chicken soup from Pat for you today. It's a lot to unpack in that story. I'm just going to leave it packed. <laughs> and if you are hyperventilating, go for the brown paper bag, not the smoke-ridden hands. A little controversy flared up. The last week before the season has to involve Jim Harbaugh, of course, because why not? In a new book by John U. Bacon, he usually writes about Michigan and sometimes kind of college football and how Michigan fits in. When discussing recruiting, Harbaugh is quoted as saying it is, quote, hard to beat the cheaters, end quote. Now, I don't actually think this is an inaccurate line or really was too much whining. But of course, because of Harbaugh, everyone went crazy, assumed he was talking about the SEC. And basically told him to win some games. Later, there's in the same book, the Michigan recruiting coordinator whines about how hard it is to balance academics and athletics. Quote, name another school that competes with the Blue Bloods athletically. We're talking Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson while competing with the Blue Bloods academically. Stanford, Northwestern, and Princeton. Most of the guys recruit are good enough to play for Alabama or Clemson and smart enough to play for Ivy League schools. If you don't win in the classroom on Monday, you won't be here for many Saturdays. Notre Dame and Stanford had fans had fun with that one, although Stanford was mentioned. I don't know. Anyway, kind of sound kind of lame to me to whine about that. I actually think Michigan's academic lands them more recruits than scares away. Yeah, maybe they can't get in everybody that you could at some other school, but they get kids to run there because the academics are good. But one more Harbaugh flare up, deserve it or not, as the season begins. Does this amp up the pressure on them or, or change anything about this season coming up? Because I think there's going to be a lot of focus on, on what happens at Michigan. Well, I agree with Jim Harbaugh. It is hard to beat the cheaters. And for all the time and hours we've spent in courtrooms reading documents about this, all this college basketball stuff that's literally been going on for like two years now since the, uh, the first wave of 10 arrests in September of 17, Anyone who's naive enough to think the same exact things aren't happening in different ways in football needs to go have tea with Mickey Mouse, you know, and have a chick have a Popeye's chicken sandwich with him or something. Because football is the same things are happening. There's different black markets. There's different ways the money's moved. But it is not different at all. Anyone who's offended by Harbaugh's comments, I just think he was he was being realistic. The one quibble I will have with him is that he famously at Stanford 10 years ago went on a diatribe about Michigan's academics 
and how Stanford's were so much tougher in Michigan, they could get anyone in. So I just thought it was like the perfect little coda of self-importance and self-involvement of now he's touting the academics when 10 years ago, because his chair dictated it, he was ripping them. It's a very good point, Peter, because I, I, I wrote the story or one of the several stories off of that brouhaha between him and Michigan back in the day. That was truth. And as you said, he was being realistic, but here's what he wasn't being specific. You got it? Lay it on the table. Let's hear about it. Let's not hear this vague, oh, it's hard to beat the cheaters. Who's cheating? What are they doing? How's it happening? Name names. Give some information. This is one thing I hate about college coaches is they like to sit around and complain about that stuff, but they don't want to do anything about it. They don't want to name names. They don't want to out anybody. So it's like, you know what? Just keep it to yourself if that's going to be your approach to it. The other thing, too, where if, they, if they're if they competing against the big boys, Clemson, Alabama, and stuff, but they're, but they're also competing academically against the Stanford Northwesterns, well, so does Notre Dame, so does Stanford, so does Northwestern. Northwestern's played in the Big Ten Championship game. Anybody seen Michigan in that game? No, no, you haven't seen them there. Stanford's played in some big-time bowl games of late. Seen Michigan in one? Hmm, no. Notre Dame made the playoff, didn't they? Michigan make the playoff? Hmm. I don't think so. So it's not like they're alone as this the only school that's willing to do both. No. I mean, you know, this, it, this is just way too self-congratulatory and too self-pitying at the same time. Sully, I think we need a, a graphic for this week with uh, Pat's picture in the start snitching movement. There's been too much of the stop yeah. snitching movement. Start so Pat snitching. is going to change the tide and encourage everyone to start snitching. That's right. Crime stopper. Crime stopper. <laughs> We need like a 1-800 tip line. <laughs> we, I would add, hey. North, North, Northwestern only got in the Big Ten title game because of the divisions. They got geographic welfare in the uh, Big Ten. They but did. Point but... well taken, certainly on Notre Dame. Now, I think when you have excellent academics, you get more players than you lose. Uh, I mean, yes, I get it. There's like you're drooling over some kid at a JUCO or some, but you also just have these kids just show up because they're like, I want to play in Michigan. Like Michigan's got great act. Michigan gets players from all over the country for a reason that, you know, another school doesn't in, in the Midwest. These kids are willing to come from from all over to, to go there because of the academics and all that. So I think it's going to be a really interesting Michigan season. Yeah. The thing about the snitching, too, like if, if there's ever a guy who could snitch, it's Harbaugh. Mm. Like he literally doesn't care. He, yeah. He's never coaching another college team other than Michigan. If he ever goes, he, there's 15 NFL teams that would like to hire him right now. Uh, maybe not 15, but plenty want him. He's got a basically a lifetime gig at Michigan as long as he wins. He's making a ton of money. He's got the pedigree as an NFL. Like he doesn't, if there was ever a guy who could just be like, you know what? I'm sick of Clemson. This is what they're doing. I'm sick of, uh, the, you know, whatever. And, and then, you know what? Go for it. But. You know, these little bits. Oh, poor us. It's too hard to get the kids in. And yeah, Michigan recruits great. Yeah. They've always recruited great. It's playing. That's the problem for Michigan. Right. Now, you know, they look, they are among the best academic institutions in the country, but they're not on the level of the Ivy League schools. They're among the best football playing institutions in the country, but they're not on the level of the best there either. So they're pretty good at both. They're not great at both. So let's not put them in some special category. Yeah. So speaking of elite academic institutions, Dan, have you have you got any blowback from the University of Massachusetts on your screed about not <laughs> donating back? Like I feel like I feel like maybe someone from the alumni office might have reached out, no. or maybe the athletic director. Somebody might have just said, Hey Dan, could you not actively discourage people from donating? <laughs> <laughs> nope. 
<laughs> well, it is a universal discouragement. Don't give to the. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is if you're donating to Auburn right now, okay, you're probably just giving money to Gus Malzahn because your athletic director signed an idiot deal. <laughs> and you could sit there and go, what is a better use of my hundred bucks, my thousand bucks, my hundred thousand, whatever the whatever level you are? Is this a good use of this money? Because I have a dimwit AD who got outfoxed by Jimmy Sexton or whoever. I mean, Jimmy Sexton has literally beaten the hell out of every guy in the South. Every AD. It's like when Andre the yeah. Giant used to go into those, uh, the, 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 what are the battle royals? And he just hucked guys. Mississippi, there you go. LSU. I need a hundred million. I need a $30 million. Okay, please don't leave. Why? <laughs> I mean, he's got uh, more buyout deals. So if you, I think about where your money's going, that's all I'm saying. UMass, no, they haven't contacted me. I'm not exactly like in touch with them. I don't know. I think they got my number. <laughs> don't call. This is not an invitation to call. Do not call. I will not accept your phone call. Anything from the 413 is getting ignored. <laughs> hey, don't bring the 413 into this, all right? <laughs> all right. Speaking of disgruntled fan bases. Oh, that segue, huh? Big time segue right there. Yeah. According yeah. to Jeff Calkins at the Daily Memphian, this weekend's game, Ole Miss versus Memphis, uh, Ole Miss requested just 3,250 tickets. Obviously, not all Ole Miss fans buy their tickets through the school, but as Calkins says, it's probably easy to surmise. They really aren't too excited for the season after watching the smoldering wreckage of Hugh Freeze era go one and seven in SEC play last year. So understandable there. But this is the worst part. Apparently, the Ole Miss Memphis series is ending. There are no games scheduled going forward. Freeze, after a 2015 loss, declared he didn't want to play Memphis anymore. Now they aren't playing anymore, but Hugh Freeze isn't there. Uh, I hate this. This is the early part of the season. You see all of these games. It doesn't. Like, we think about great rivalries lost, and you think, oh, Texas, Texas A&M, or Oklahoma, Nebraska. But, like, to me, what's great about college football is there's all these teams like Memphis and Ole Miss. Neither one is going to have this epic season, but they have games like this that rally all the people locally. All the people in the office can argue. All of that stuff go away because the supposed bigger school is scared of the little school because they're having a down era, not like they should come back. So... We have some good group of five, non-group of five games this week or whatever they call it. What do they call them? So group of five, yeah. Non-power five. You know, Boise's playing Florida yeah. State. UCLA is traveling to Cincinnati, of all things. Great game, but I bet the Cincinnati be fans are more interested when they get to play at Ohio State week two. I just think these, you know, they've talked about Florida and Central Florida getting something going. It's apparently too complicated, too hard to, you know. Do these games, I hate seeing things like Memphis Ole Miss fall apart uh, when it literally has no, almost no impact on a national basis, but is what creates the spirit of this. And look, Hugh Freeze isn't coaching there. Step it up, Rebels. Play Memphis. And just a complete, overtly coward move by the Ole Miss Athletic Department. Uh, Ole Miss has always been like the ultimate wannabe relevant SEC team. And all like their sort of, their well-documented years of cheating under Hugh Freeze sort of... 
it was indicative of that aspirational thing. So basically, they're going to invite, I haven't looked at their future schedules because I don't really care enough to, but like they're going to invite Eastern Washington in to beat the snot out of them and everybody can put on their dresses and be happy, but nobody cares. Like no one's going to care at all. So you can you can have your porta potties on the lawn and their walk and all that stuff. But like this actually is keeping college football relevant. And this is why we're seeing attendance decline. There, people aren't actually playing games that people want to watch. So people aren't going to go. So I just think just such a cowardly move by by Ole Miss to duck a competitive rivalry by literally the closest university playing Division One football to them. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense. And a city where they have so many alums, right? I mean, that's so I many. Well, yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. It's the oh, big yeah. City. No, Memphis, yes. I guarantee yes. I, I would bet that the two places with the highest concentration of Ole Miss alums are probably Jackson, Mississippi and Memphis, Tennessee, yeah. I, I would I would suppose. And it's but way no, closer I, to Memphis. It's 40 yeah, miles. Right. Oh, yeah. No, it's I, I, I agree completely with you guys. Uh, it's a shame, you know, and I mean, I'm looking at their future schedules. Here's 2020. They play Baylor, Southeast Missouri, Middle Tennessee and Georgia Southern. Uh, 2021, Louisville, Austin P, Tulane, Liberty. 2022, Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa. How exciting are any of those games to any of their fans? Not at all. But you guys are totally right. They are using the chip of membership to the club, the Power Five, to push away a team that doesn't have membership to the club. And unfortunately, I think these kind of things are going to continue. Well, this is a double-edged sword. They're going to try to get everybody to schedule, you know, 10 Power Five games. And while that's good, because it's going to be more good games, but what's going to get lost? It's going to get lost. Ole Miss and Memphis is going to get lost. Uh, you know, Tennessee probably ain't going to schedule Memphis. Um, I feel sorry for the, the, the AAC sort of schools because they'll, they'll schedule Kansas or they'll schedule Kansas State or whoever, Wake Forest, but then they'll certainly keep Southeast Missouri and they'll certainly keep New Mexico State and they'll keep Liberty if they can. Uh, they just don't want to play those games against anybody that could possibly make it look like they're losing face if you don't beat them. And the local. Because it's like if right. you lose to one that's far away, yeah. then you don't have to show up in the office and have the annoying Memphis fan, right, right. harass you. So, but that's the fun part, and that's I just I just hate losing these games. This is the fabric of the sport much more than the playoff and all that. Because there's 128 teams in this thing, and there's like five that can win the national championship. The rest of them are is out there playing, and to lose that kind of a great opening weekend game. It's just, you know, this just stinks. So uh, down on you, Ole Miss, for that one. I wanted to get to this briefly. I don't know. There was an interesting lawsuit at Penn State where um, it's a pretty serious charge. Former team doctor uh, filed a lawsuit saying he was fired because he refused to act when Coach James Franklin pressured him about clearing injured players. Heck of a charge. Penn State vehemently denies it. Um, I, I have read the lawsuit. Um, I think do doctors, you would think, would have good credibility on this. And so I took it kind of serious. However, there's no specifics offered. Um, he's looking for 50K, which to me begs that he's looking for a settlement or something. And um, he really should have started screaming the moment he thought this occurred, if, if this was that big of a deal. And it didn't seem to. So, um as much as like with Andrew Luck and Gronk and all these guys in the in the news and how serious football is, I, you know, what do you what do you make of this? Is this a serious deal? Is this something Franklin should be worried about? Or do you think like I just it's hard for me to believe that a coach 
certainly one as savvy as James Franklin is dumb enough to do this at this point, although football coaches have certainly uh, <laughs> beaten the uh, standard of dumb in many, many occasions. <laughs> you is, think? That a, is that a legal threshold, Dan? You've learned about yeah, the legal trials. threshold is <laughs> just when you think you yeah. can't be dumb enough. You're <laughs> calling escorts on your university phone and losing the old Miss job. So maybe. What do you think? Uh no, I well look, if you want to toss a bomb at a coach right now, that's that's yeah. as incendiary one as you can toss is you know, you're not taking care of your players' health and well being. Uh it's a very sensitive topic. Uh, you know, I think more and more there is a general concern about the toll that football takes. Andrew Luck certainly underscored that in an emphatic way within the last week. And if you're saying, you know, that a coach is not putting your health first and instead is putting games first that's that's an incendiary charge this i would put along the lines of jim harbaugh's uh complaint is you better be specific give us give us details give us more information than what's been provided uh so i i agree that this is a this is a lawsuit lacking in substance at this point i'd sure like to hear more i read like three articles yesterday because you see the headline breaking you're like wow then I was like, well, what's there? What's the what's the there there? Certainly a serious charge. You would hope the doctor involved wouldn't be cavalier enough to like throw that out there without right. without some substance behind it. I would think your medical license would be at risk, etc. You know, look, the the treatment of players, there is always some gray area. Is it pain? Is it is it an injury? You know, like how 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 those things go, there there is always some there is always some gray there, but it did strike me as weird that there was this just conflated charge with no specifics behind it. According to uh, John Orland of the Sports Business Daily, Pac-12 and Fox are sticking with this idea, I would call stupid idea, of having a noon Pacific time kickoff. Now, there will not be one this year, but the idea is to get a Pac-12 home game to start at noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. West Coast, for the purpose of I don't know, because there's... But targeted right now are next year's openings openers, Michigan at Washington and Ohio State at Oregon. This is the dumbest idea I think I've heard in a long time. <laughs> Do you think Larry Scott's smart enough that he like conjured this idea up to distract everyone from how bad the conference is on the field? Because that would be diabolical and genius. Other than that. This is just no reason to play these games at 9 a.m. It's bad for the players. They have to get up at 4. The students don't want to get up. I didn't get up at 9 a.m. in college. I could barely make the noon games to cover when I was in school. Nobody wants this. It's ridiculous. It's gimmicky. It undercuts your product when you have to do it. It's like when they play those basketball games on aircraft carriers. That was the dumbest <laughs> idea in the history of sports. Then it got slippery. Right. Yes. It was like oh, <laughs> big surprise. We're right. on a boat. People are falling. <laughs> We're going to yes. honor the soldiers. They always, they can always, yeah. oh, no. if they make oh. this a celebration yeah. of the soldiers, <laughs> yeah. then it's like unrippable, right? It's like, <laughs> all right, all right. We'll give some money to wounded warriors. Um, yeah, this thing is ridiculous. I mean, can you imagine the traffic jam? Everyone's got to get there at the same yeah. time, like 7 a.m. The, the Portland Eugene traffic oh, at like God. 5, no. 6, yeah. 7 in the morning. Uh, yeah. This is, what are you getting? At one time, I think Notre Dame played in Ireland. Yep. And so because they were ahead, they could play at 9 a.m. Eastern. And it's kind of like when they do those NFL London games, you get like yeah. the whole everyone can watch. It's kind of a bonus. I get that exposure, but this does nothing. It would just put you on at noon. 
all your fans are like, oh, hey, awesome. Michigan's coming. Ohio State's coming. This is going to be great. Oh, we got to do it at 9 a.m. Like, well, I, I just don't even understand this concept or how it, I was like, this is a bad idea that it's like, you know, that dies away. One of those like 24-hour stories, like buying Greenland or something. You know? <laughs> like, like all of a sudden it's like, remember when one time we almost bought Greenland? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. No, it's back. Like, what? <laughs> so maybe that'll be Larry Scott's next. Uh, the Pac-12 will buy Guam or something. Yeah, buy yeah. Greenland, maybe they yes. can buy him. Nook, yeah. Nook uh, is waiting. <laughs> the Nook TV market is available. Uh, it, it, no, it, I, it to me it reeks of desperation. Like we don't know what to do from a marketing standpoint, and the the the, the problem is they're swinging from one extreme to another. Like, okay, we're going to take our games off of ten thirty p.m. and we're going to put them at nine a.m. and Again, not thinking at all of the actual competitors in this, uh, the players, the coaches, or the fans for that matter. You can play the games at 11 a.m. Pacific. You can play them at you can play them from anywhere from 11 a.m. Pacific, which they do now, until 5 p.m. Pacific, and you're going to get a mainstream audience everywhere in the nation. You know, you don't have to put it at 9 a.m. just to get into that noon window. It's it's I think they're desperate to try to figure out something to do from a marketing standpoint. And they listen to people, oh, the games are too late. Well, let's make up too early. That's not an answer. So I think the one thing to think about here as the TV world moves forward, and obviously we know the TV world dictates how college football really works. Fox is desperate to compete with ESPN. That's why they have the the show with Leinert and Bush and Urban Meyer and Brady Quinn now. They they and they, you know. People have tried to take down College Game Day in some way, shape, or form in the last 15 years. It hasn't worked. And I think Fox's idea is if we have great games, because ultimately everybody just wants to watch the game, right? So if right. we have great games at noon, people will watch our content leading into those great games. And so a lot of Fox's TV deals are tied to the tied to the Pac-12 and the West Coast. And so I do think that is some of the root of this is, and then if the Pac-12 does play it with Fox, they're playing ball with, Someone who's going to step up for billions in 2023 or four, whenever they're uh, whenever they're supposedly going to be saved by their next TV deal, and all the financial woes that they're in right now are going to uh, go away. But until that happens, Dan, you were at UMass when they used to play like midnight games at the Curry Hicks Cage, right? Yeah, because it was the only time UMass could get on TV back in like basketball. The, yeah, 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 exactly. Sorry, yeah, UMass hoops. Like that's what this is. It's a it's a ridiculous gimmick, but, and I feel bad. But that like, it inconveniences everyone involved. But the midnight game was a gimmick, but it was the only way. And then yeah. there weren't any other games on at midnight. If yeah. you play at noon e Eastern, there's a ton of other games on. Yeah, it's you're not getting the time slot. That's why that Notre Dame game and obviously it's not. Well, I guess they could play the opener every year in Ireland. But if you get you have the 9 a.m. You want to have people not watch game day, put Notre Dame on at 9 a.m. on NBC. Then you're like, I'm not watching game day. I'm going to watch an actual game. Right. That works. But this is just, I don't know. This is just, it, it's like we're just looking for solutions. I, I, there's too many sports marketing majors, you know, just in, they just, too many of them exist. It's like, well, yeah, I got to come up with a marketing plan. How about this? Like, no, that doesn't work. That's just not, that's not what we're looking for. So no donations to your alma mater. Don't major in sports marketing. There's too many of you. You're useless. <laughs> too many of you. You're screwing it up. <laughs> All right. Do you guys see that high school coach on ESPN who wore the like V-neck? <laughs> Cut off white shirt, inside out, sleeveless, cut sleeveless. Down the neck. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what are they comfortable or taking you too far? I need a ruling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't taking know. Taking it too far.
I really? mean, come on. Although, you know, it's high school, so whatever. <laughs> but I, mean, I, I would like to get Howard Schnellenberger's thought on this. You know, he used to walk the sidelines in a coat and tie with a pipe. Yeah. I'd like to see what Howard says about the dude. Tom Landry. Rick V-neck, <laughs> cutout sleeves, inside out shirt at the season opener on national TV. Like, get a Where'd that, of that guy dude. coach? Was he coached Florida or was he from, like, is he a Florida coach? No, I think no, he, he was where the St. Francis, Maryland coach. Yeah. yeah. Maryland. Yeah. Wow. And he clearly like, just mowed, his gra- mowed the grass before yeah. he went to the game. Yeah. I, if it was Halloween, I would have thought he was dressed up like Rex Ryan. Uh, that's who he looks like. He has like that same yeah. build and gait and uh, and, yeah. and everything. Yeah, like that. Uh, I, I clearly think at this point people are just doing things to be mentioned on the podcast because there's no good reason <laughs> for, you, for you to do that. Biff Pogie, there is none. I, I respect that he stuck with his game even with an ESPN camera. Like I can see it if you're you know, no ESPN. You're just it's like 95 degrees. It's August. You're a high school coach. <laughs> Who cares, right? But is that always his game? I mean, does he I don't know. Like, I, he oh, literally he just kind of came off the landscaping He crew? probably dresses I mean, worse. Does he even have a shirt the other day? He's like, <laughs> <laughs> even his hat was messed up. You know, I mean, it was like everything was just bad. Yeah, and he does not. Yeah, the physique isn't really there for. No, for, yeah. no. I mean, you know, if, 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 if he's like Mario Cristobal or something, maybe. But but mm-hmm. he's a long way from that. Sun's out, guns out, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, one positive trend in college football this year is the increasing number of schools that allow beer sales during the game. We finally got over that ridiculousness. No alcohol. We can't have alcohol at a college uh, sporting event, really. The entire place is hammered. (laughs) A lot. You've created huge swaths of space in the middle of your campus, so alums can show up eight times a year and get trashed but we're gonna act like there's no alcohol proud to say umass is an early adopter of this one so they're back in my good graces <laughs> but of course if you're watching a umass football game i mean really uh per research by the des moines register and really this is why we need to support local journalism because <laughs> Who's the assignment editor on this? Yeah, I know we got these presidential candidates coming into town this week, but we really got to take a look at these beer sales, all right? Joe Biden got to say, well, wait a minute. 52 of 129 campuses are now selling beer. So they create the Des Moines Register created an interactive map. Wow. So all all of us can um, look where we are, and then you could basically spot how close you are, the closest proximity to a place to get beer <laughs> while watching college football at any moment. Anyway, good trend. We're in 52. We're almost at halfway. Newbies this year include LSU, Arkansas, Vandy, Tennessee, really the Bible belts in on it. A&M, surprised A&M didn't already go for it. Missouri, Pat, there you go. Mm-hmm. So my question is, which school out there is going, what will be, other than BYU, what's the last team that will do it? And which one will be the first to regret the decision and reverse course because their fan base is incapable of, <laughs> of properly consuming alcohol during the game? Pat? Um, okay, so I think the, the last one to do it, other than BYU, will be like Ole Miss because they are they are the most, you know, probably Baptist-ish area and – so addicted to tradition and you know if you've been there look the games are fun the pageantry in the grove is is cool but it's a bit uptight you know i mean it's like 
you got to show up in your pressed khakis and your pearls and all that business. Uh, so, but the, the, the school that's going to regret it, <clears throat> I think is Texas A&M because the core of cadets are supposed to be, you know, they're the same thing. They're supposed to be all, you know, proper and, and in uniform and everything. And they start getting sloppy and all of a sudden the boots aren't shined and you know, the, there's a wrinkle in the uniform and then, oh my God, the ROTC is going to lose it. And uh, midnight yell practice is going to be canceled. You're not even allowed to walk on the grass at Texas A&M. They actually get mad at you if you walk on the grass. So I don't think they can handle alcohol at the games. Pete? I will say that uh, back in the 90s when I attended Syracuse, they were already selling beer. Probably that the only true. thing that athletic department's done to be ahead of the time. They let the, they let the carrier dome fall apart, but damn it, they are going to serve beer. And they were doing it in the 80s, too. I really think the beer was a key rise to like Syracuse athletics being relevant for that like 10, 15-year stretch from the from the mid-80s kind of through uh, through the McNabb era, if you will. So I give the visionaries at Syracuse a ton of credit for being early adopters. I don't think I'm actually going to donate to them in the spirit of uh, Captain <laughs> Wetzel be, because of that. But, like, I don't know. Like, the, the pearl clutching over alcohol sales, It's it was like even a worst-kept secret, just the utter debauchery that went on around these games, it was almost like paying players in, you know, college basketball it was yeah, very right. similar that was as overt and everybody knew it so why pretend it's not happening so we're in an era of transparency and disclosure disclosure now bottoms up folks bottoms up all right let's get to the uh, race for the case we're Ooh. actually talk a little bit of football and make some predictions last year pat uh won the race for the case with a 46 and 38 record how about that, people? Pete lost the race for the case, 39-45. I did not participate last year. I was not um, invited to be part of it. No. <laughs> uh, now I have been invited, so we, I'm going to participate a, this year. a quick update, Dan, on what Pat has done with the bush light I sent him. I did send Pat a case of Sierra Nevada for his winnings, his favorite beer, and then I also sent him a 12-pack of bush light to basically, like, so he wouldn't know what to do with it. So uh, what have you done with it, Pat? I don't know what to do with it. It's still sitting exactly where it was when I put it in the fridge. I eventually, <laughs> like, the, the, the termite I hope you, like, curse me every time the, you open your the, fridge. The termite inspector and the recycling picker-upper guy, it's going to be offered to them soon enough. <laughs> Uh, my my beer filibuster. I feel I I a little so smell good. of pride that it worked. <laughs> good job, good job, Pete. You were the real winner of the race for the case. I was, by, you know, I was. I feel good. This is my this is my victory lap. We're yeah. gonna check in mid season to see what's happened to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, eventually I'll come by Louisville again, Pat. So just keep it in there. <laughs> keep, it, keep it ready for me. Uh, all right, let's pick some games. We pick five a week. Uh, and we keep a tally. There's a lock of the week. You get an extra point if you win the. Yep, you get a point for the lock point. as well. Okay, and the lock is not necessarily the the five we pick, or could the be. lock is outside of that five. Correct. All right, outside. All right, so let's pick Auburn, given three and a half versus Oregon in Dallas or Arlington, actually. Um, big game for both programs. Huge game for the Pac-12. What do you got? We'll start with you, Pete. I'm going to have to take Auburn. I think when you go strength on strength in this game, you have Auburn's D-line, which is the best in the SEC, probably the best in the country, versus Oregon's O-line, which returns 152 or 153 starts. They get two All-Americans on there. And I just can't fathom 
a Pac-12 O-line dominating an SEC D-line. Now, Auburn starts a freshman quarterback, Bo Nix. Oregon obviously has Heisman favorite Justin Herbert. I don't think it matters. I think Auburn wins like 20 to 14. I think it's a low scoring right. game. I think it is. And maybe I'm just scarred from watching all that week zero mess in the, uh, in the, in the Florida Miami game, but I am, I'm going to go with the Tigers. Pat. Well, uh, I am going the other way. So we got a difference of opinion right there. Oregon's going to win and win out. I mean, they're going to win uh, outright. So I am bullish on the Ducks. Uh, I've got them going to the playoff, and this is the start. you got to win a non-conference game, especially if you're in the Pac-12, to get some credibility. Neutral field, it's going to be really more Auburn fans than Oregon. Oregon not only has a good offensive line, they've got a, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They've got running backs. They've, they've got more experience in this game, and I think that's the difference. They don't have to dominate the O-line, D-line matchup. They just have to neutralize. So I think that's going to be enough, and Justin Herbert's going to make enough plays. True freshman quarterback starting for Auburn. Give me some of that. I'll take the Ducks. Ducks have no receivers. I can't wait to send you taunting text messages from the press box. Well, included in a uh, group text because I'm taking the Ducks also. You got a potential number one quarterback in the draft. I love Bo Nix because the guy's name is Bo Nix. <laughs> I mean, it's just fantastic. <laughs> Pinson Valley High School going right in, starting for Auburn. Love it. I'd like Anytime to see him your name well. is just two syllables. First name, <laughs> last name. Nicks. Love it. Just quit. You know what? That's how he qualified. He, the SAT was just a snap. It's like, hey, <laughs> do your name. Like five letters, man. I got this. <laughs> Bo Nix. Uh, we'll see. But I, I it, it, generally, they you're going to make a mistake. Uh, I think I'll, I'll take the Ducks in that one because I'm, I'm getting three and a half. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, whatever. Absolutely. All right. All right. Northwestern at Stanford. 4 p.m. on Fox on Saturday. Stanford's giving six and a half only. Six and a half. Uh, Pat, we'll start with you. Yeah, and uh, apologies to my uh, daughter, the Stanford student, but I am taking Northwestern certainly to cover, possibly to win. The fact that my daughter is home here is an in one reason why, because none of the Stanford students are on campus yet. They start late. They're on the quarter system. There's never a whole lot of atmosphere there, but there's going to be even less when none of the students are in the stadium. So Northwestern, they got a lot of holes to fill from last year, but they were, they were a good team at season's end. If they can carry it over and start well for once against another team that struggles to start well, Stanford, and Hunter Johnson at quarterback plays well and doesn't make mistakes, which from what I hear in practice, he's been a little mistake prone. But if he doesn't make mistakes, I think I like Northwestern's chances certainly to cover and possibly to win. As much as I hate to agree with Pat, first of all, what if they played this game at 9 a.m.? I think like 11 people would go. Um, I, I agree. I think this will be a low scoring kind of sloggy, like 1992 style game. Like, I, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of aesthetics here. It'll be hard hitting. But yeah, I don't think Stanford can win by six and a half. And I am going to take Northwestern straight up 14, 13. Hunter Johnson de debuts with a W, and it's going to be it's going to go down to the end. I, I think it'll be one of the more competitive games of opening weekend. I am taking Stanford. I like Stanford early in the season when they're all healthy. They're not beat up physical. I think they're uh, you got the West Coast trip for Northwestern. Obviously, you can go a little early, but a Northwestern season last year was an absurd season. They lost all it really three, was. all their non conference games, including to Akron where they gave up 39 points. They beat Purdue by four, Michigan, or they lost to Michigan. They beat uh, Nebraska by three, 
They beat Rutgers by three. They beat Iowa by five. Like, everything broke well for, for Northwestern. I don't think they're that good. I'm taking Stanford in this uh, game, even though giving up the points on that. So, all right, where we are. We've got a little disagreement. That's where I start to take the lead. <laughs> all right, keeping it out west. Oh, no, where are we going? That's only the second one. Clear oh, that we'll room this. in your fridge for some bush light, Dan. I'm getting ready. Move the pickle you jar put this, away. You put this on the line. <laughs> Boise State. Versus Florida State in Jacksonville. Boise State starting a freshman QB also. FSU is giving five and a half. Pete, we'll go back to you first. I'm a giant fan of Hank Bachmeyer. So let me let me join the let me start the fan club. <laughs> He's the true freshman from Southern California who's going to start for Boise this year. And he is going to be Kellen Moore part two. He was unbelievably efficient all during high school. I got to know him at the quarterback collective, spent, been around him for a couple of years. He is the quarterbacks the other quarterbacks loved the most. I think he's going to be special. I think he's going to roll into Jacksonville. I think that Boise, with enough time to prepare for what Kendall Bryles has done at FAU and at Houston in the last couple of years, is, is going to be savvy enough defensively to slow them down. And the ultimate mismatch here is that Florida State's offensive line was probably the worst position unit in major college football last year. I don't see it getting discernibly better, and Boise has one of the best D-lines regardless of class. So I think Boise beats him up up front. I think Hank Bachmeyer introduces himself to the world. Boise rolls, and it's 31-21. Huh. All righty. I, I, I really didn't expect to tune into this podcast hearing that you are the world's biggest Hank Bachmeyer fan. <laughs> now we know. Now we know. All Get right. Get the bandwagon ready. He yeah. built the bandwagon. <laughs> he did. You did. I built the Boise bus. You built the Bachmeyer bandwagon. Uh, and I what I did build the Boise bus, but no, I'm 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 taking Florida State here. Uh, yes, they were what? horrible last year. They were oh. horrible. They're not going to be as bad. They're going to be significantly better simply because they can't be worse. That offensive line that was in disarray, they're all older, they're all back, or mostly back. Uh, they will be better coached. Willie Taggart will know what he's doing better. They'll be better coordinated. Cam Akers is going to be better. James Blackman's going to be better. So offensively, they're just they're going to be improved. And long trip, and no, I'm uh, this is two straight, two games here. That the first game, no, I am not going to take a true freshman quarterback uh in either, either a road or neutral setting. Give me Florida State. I'll take in Boise. Plus Woo. five and a half. Woo. Yeah. I got Pat Pat is gonna be sitting there regretting this pick. <laughs> Flashes of that's Do you remember Sanford. how angry Pat got Sanford, at Florida yeah. State last year when they almost oh. lost to Sanford? That was oh, the I, well, I was angry away. that they won. Yes. I was angry that no, they won. No, just the, your live tweeting of the Florida State Sanford game last year may have been my favorite moment of all of college football season. Angry, just, angry, angry. Oh, Pat. it was. Just, I was hate tweeting them. I was. Yes, I was absolutely was hate tweeting awesome. them. Awesome. And let's wow. just remind you, Pat, that they finished last in penalties last year in the entire country by yeah. like a large margin. So Are, yeah. aren't teams allowed to get better from year to year? Easy they, money they here. Yeah. yeah. Easy money. Boise. Yeah. Boise. All right. Fresno State at USC. USC is uh, only a 13 and a half point favorite on Fresno State. Uh, this could be the start of the uh, Clay Helton death march or we might see something. They still have some players at USC. Yeah, you know what? And I, I have been all over the Fresno bandwagon there for the last couple of years. Jeff Tedford has been unbelievable. I mean, truly unbelievable. And I'm very surprised nobody else has hired him. I'm a little concerned with the new quarterback with Marcus McMarion out of there. But give me 13 and a half. Yeah, I'll take Fresno. I think that they'll be good enough to keep it close. 
USC got a lot of skill position talent. Uh, we'll see how they work in the new offense. See, I don't know. Defensively, I don't think they're great. Offensive line, I don't think they're great. And I think Fresno's built a bit of a winning culture there over the last couple of years. They've won like 23 games the last two years. So Fresno certainly ain't losing by 13 and a half. Pete? I hate this game because like <laughs> all the signs point to taking Fresno in some way, shape or form. And obviously we've been we've we've documented well on Yahoo Sports where we think the uh, USC program is. I'm surprised Lynn Swansell has a job right now. And Clay Helton, obviously, with that start is on the hottest of hot seats. So all that said, I, I do think the preponderance of skill combined with Graham Harrell coming in and giving them a little bit of an identity on offense and using their skill players better is going to help USC. So against Every instinct I possibly have and fiber in my body, I am going to say that USC wins this game 31-14. So basically, USC can get better, but Florida State can't. Got Correct. It. Yes, you're reading You're reading this correctly, Pat. Yes. <laughs> Pete, very, I mean, the, very intuitive of you. That Missouri degree is really shining through today. The tortured twists of logic that it took for Pete to get there. <laughs> Give me Fresno. Fresno's really good. Tedford's doing an unbelievable job. I, I They will have to handle... The incredible road atmosphere of 25,000 people at the L.A. Coliseum. It'll feel like 9 a.m., even though it's nighttime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be really crazy there. Yeah, I'm taking Fresno. I'm getting I already hate and my and pick. I already yep. hate my pick. I already hate your pick. You're going to hate it worse. All right, last one of the featured games. Houston at OU. The mullet. We're getting a mullet at Houston again. Oklahoma's. It's at Oklahoma. No, it's in Houston. No, that? it's, it's, not, it's uh, in Norman. I hope it's so. In Norman. Because yeah. I booked my yeah. plane ticket already. Because you're going. Okay. Yeah. Sully had down uh Sully error oh. in the show notes. What the heck? That's Houston. Sully, yeah. stop sending us random animal attack links and get this your is, stuff this together. Is, yeah. okay? <laughs> this is why that we don't read the show notes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't know there were show notes. Anyway, Sooners are uh, giving 23 and a half. What do you got? Uh, who went first? I don't care. Pete, you go first. Oh, I'm taking Oklahoma. I just think at this point, any betting against Lincoln Riley is just foolish. And Houston's defense was an abject disaster last year. When we last saw them, they were giving up 70-something to Army in a bowl game. Now they can get better, Pat Forty, but I don't think oh. they will. They only had like three healthy DBs in spring ball. There's going to be a bunch of JUCOs, a bunch of transfers. And that it's just not a place to go figure it out against Jalen Hurts, Lincoln Riley, C.D. Lamb, and all that skill. And Lincoln Riley, God bless him, isn't afraid to put that throttle down a little bit. Yeah. So I think that this is like a a, a 52 to 28 kind of game. Yeah. A, a lot of, I don't know what the over-under is, but there'll be a lot of points scored because I don't think Oklahoma's defense is that good. Oklahoma's defense can get better, but it's got to get a lot better <laughs> from last year. Yes. Houston's run defense was appalling at the end of last season, but <clears throat> new coaching staff, I think that team was in disarray at the end under uh, Major Applewhite, which is one of the reasons he is out. Better coach this year. They're going to at least be, and they're going to be explosive as heck on offense, Houston. I mean, they've got guys on offense. Derek King, the quarterback, 50 touchdowns last year, and that's even with getting hurt late in the season. They, they're they're going to be ready to score. So I, I, I think they, they're not going to win, but they're going to be certainly within 23 points. I agree, 51 to 34, something like that. But uh, that's a safe cover for the Cougars. Give me the Cougs. Wow. All right. Well, I love Holgo. I get two games I get to attend this week where I get to mock Pat in person. That's pretty good. <laughs> Can't wait for the season. I'm already excited. I like Holgo, but no, I'm taking Oklahoma. I think <laughs> yeah. they're going to. 
poor on the points too early for him to really get it rolling at Houston. I mean, it's a, probably a debate if Holgo knows the defensive players names yet. Yeah. yeah. It like, might that's not. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's like a reasonable, like, yes. Hey, 99. Good looking. He had to spend like the first six months on camp. He had to like walk around Houston and see if like how much the babes liked his flowing locks, <laughs> whether it was working as good as it did at, at West Virginia. So I don't even think he's been paying attention. No, I just, <laughs> I'll take Oklahoma on this one. I want, I want the, could we get like Gundy to come down just to watch, you know, and they could compare. I always liked when West Virginia and Oklahoma state played in the, uh, the mullet bowl. Anyway, I'm going with uh, I'm going with Oklahoma to cover. It's a lot of points, but whatever. All right, lock of the week. Pick another game. This is where uh, we're really separate. The uh, pretenders from the contenders. Pat Forty, what's your lock of the week? The Monday night game. The ACC has kind of put its stamp on Labor Day night, which I think has been pretty cool, except this game is going to be dreadful. It's going to be Notre Dame against Louisville. I will be in attendance to see Notre Dame just pulverize Louisville. Louisville is not good. The, the rebuild is total. For Scott Satterfield, this year he's literally just coaching effort and uh, hustle, which is not really when you're starting at that spot, you're starting at ground zero. Notre Dame's going to be good again, certainly good enough to cover 20. I am very surprised this number is only 20. Louisville is going to lose by 30 or more uh, Notre Dame in a walkover Monday night. There is no more ironclad lock than Alabama in one of these neutral site openers. And they are favored by 35 against Duke, which is obviously a lot of points. But I have no doubt that they're going to be up by 35 at halftime of this game. I think the post-Daniel Jones era, I mean, the Daniel Jones era wasn't very good to Duke. I don't know how the <laughs> post-Daniel Jones era is really going to be much better. So I think even Saban, who probably has a lot of respect for David Cutcliffe, David Cutcliffe was like the gentleman of all college football. We all love cut. I, I do think that's the only way Duke covers if, if Saban discovers a heart, but I, I wouldn't bet on that. So I think I think Alabama wins 55-10. I got to say real quick, I think one of the geniuses of what Alabama does with their non-conference schedule, they first they get somebody to come for a neutral site game that's always 80 to, or 90% Alabama fans. But secondly, they, they have a good knack of finding teams to play who are replacing quarterbacks. Duke yeah. post Daniel uh, Jones, last year they played Louisville after they lost Lamar Jackson. You go back through it, a lot of times they're facing young, inexperienced quarterbacks and pounding them. Right. The only one was really that Florida State game, and they just took them out. But, yeah, yeah generally yeah. They, they schedule just at the right time, so it looks yep. good, but, yeah, not often. All right, I'm going off the board here. I'm taking Michigan State. I'm going to take Michigan State. They are giving 22-and-a-half against Tulsa. I'm sure you guys had that down as a game you wanted to make sure you watched. Oh, yeah. Michigan State's defense is really, really good. They are not going to give up many points. Tulsa's offense was not good. I think they averaged like 18 a game last year or something like that. Uh, very low number. And I think Brian Lewerke and the offense will at least be good. They were horrible last year, but he is a good quarterback. They can get, they're going to have a lot to show. There's going to be some trick plays. They're trying to set the tone of their offense. They're going to keep pouring it on. I'm taking Michigan State Spartans minus 22 and a half against Tulsa. If you find yourself watching this game, <laughs> turn it off and go find something better to do while the weather is still good. Okay. Unless you are a state fan or a Tulsa fan, 
This is I don't watch this game. Like that means you, moments. Al Toby. We know you listen. Go play some golf. Go fishing. Hang out with go, your family, Al. Right. This is not like you know. Like this is the moment where you say, "Hey, you know, maybe I got something," deep, or or not. Whatever. If you listen to this, all right. We got a man race the case. Everything. We will be back. Uh, I think we're running on Tuesday morning because we're gonna you know get the long holiday weekend. But check us out next week uh, for our overreaction for week. One, and maybe I'll find myself a Popeye chicken sandwich by then. We'll see. Talk to you later.